Howdy guys, I'm Aiden of Blue Couch Productions and welcome to the 49th ever episode of Aiden on Anchor, the show where I tell you about my life story as well as my journey with this cool little app called Anchor. I am currently recording this on April the 3rd, 2020 at 1.56 p.m. Not a very long time since I recorded the last episode. I figured, hey, I'm having so much fun recording these. I love the last episode. One of my favorites. If you haven't listened to it yet, you should. So why not go ahead and record another one? Our topic for today is the March Movie Roundup. We're going to talk about all the films I saw in March 2020. I did this similarly for last month, my February 2020 Movie Roundup. So if you have not seen that episode, go ahead. And, as always... Uh, this idea comes from my good friend Jay the Zoomster. He's doing his own movie roundups on his podcast, just simply called Jay the Zoomster. It's where I got the idea from. I thought it'd be fun to do my own version of it. But after you listen to this, go check out Jay's podcast. It's just called Jay the Zoomster. You should be able to find it on Anchor uh, and listen to his movie roundups because they are far better than mine. But with all that being said, before we hop into the films, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, number one, and this is the main thing. Uh, I forgot to talk about my uh, comedy music album um, that I made. It's called World War One, And I don't really advertise the comedy music all that much. But I figured I'd go ahead and do so on Ain't On Anchor. Because this is my fifth album. And, in my opinion, it's the best. Uh, I name all my comedy albums after conflicts or wars or that type of stuff. And so I was eventually going to build up to the idea of doing one based on a world war. But I wanted to be really prepared and have a lot of really good songs on here. And I think I managed to achieve that. Uh, Zach and Jay have already heard it. And they think it's my best album by far. There's a lot of good bops on there. If you're going to go listen to it, I'd recommend listening to the track New Horizons. It's an Animal Crossing rap about Tom Nook. And everybody likes Animal Crossing, so you should like this song. Uh, but yeah, go check it out. Blue Catch Productions on SoundCloud. Just search it up. Um, and go listen to the other four albums as well, because they're good too. The other bit of housekeeping, and the final bit, number two, uh, I didn't forget about the Neo tangent um, from the last episode. I mentioned I was going to talk about Neo, but I'm not going to be able to do it in this episode because it's going to be a long one as is, but I promise I will talk about that tangent on episode 50. Neo will be talked about, damn it, just not in this episode. But with all that housekeeping stuff out of the way, let's talk about all the films I saw in March 2020. And oh boy, I listened to the February episode, and apparently we only talked about eight films, which is a lot more than I usually watch. I typically don't watch a whole lot of films, so I was impressed to even do eight. Well, we're doubling that. That's right. I saw 16 films in March. 16 of them. That's insane. That's absolutely crazy. Uh, like the last episode, uh, like the February one, we're going to break it up into categories and talk about the films that are sort of related to each other, starting off with the next two installments in the DCEU. I got all the way up to Justice League, and then the last ones I had yet to see was Aquaman, Shazam, and Birds of Prey, and I managed to watch Aquaman, Shazam. I still haven't seen Birds of Prey yet, so yes, I'm still not done watching the DCU, unfortunately, uh, but I'm not watching Joker, because fuck Joker. But I will be watching Birds of Prey eventually. But let's talk about the next two films up in the lineup, Aquaman and Shazam. And these films are kind of reverses of each other because they're both really good um, in terms of superhero films at least. I kind of have a bit of a skewed rating when it comes to these type of uh, films in the first place. They're both really good. 
but weirdly enough, they both have some key flaws, and those key flaws are reversed in the other film. So Aquaman, for example, is visually stunning. The action is some of the best in the DCU. It has these beautiful one shots and gorgeous CGI. I love the locations and the color grading. The film is just an absolute visual treat, but the plot's kind of generic. I don't like most of the side characters, and the villain, King Orm, is really weak. He's just not interesting to me personally. I do like Jason Momoa. I do like learning about Aquaman's origin, how his mother was an Atlantean queen who married a, a guy in the real world, and then because of that, Aquaman became kind of this bastard child that no one really liked. So Aquaman has to go down to Atlantis um, and stop King Orm, the bad guy, from declaring war on humanity because they polluted the waters or some shit. So Aquaman's got to go fight him, but then he's got to do a little like a MacGuffin quest to go get the Trident or whatever. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed that uh, film mainly just on its blockbuster production values and less about the actual story and characters being told. And honestly, in terms of like an Aquaman movie, Aquaman is a character I, I don't care about. And I think trying to make a film about him even remotely interesting is a gargantuan task. Uh, in terms of an Aquaman film, I think this is the best they could have done it, but it does make me wonder for the sequel at least how they plan to sort of get around not having really all those great characters and stuff. Uh, they did introduce Black Manta in this film, and he's a really good villain actually, but he's out of the film too early, similar to how I feel about like Prowler in uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Not Amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Verse. Jesus. Amazing Spider-Man's awful. Prowler in Spider-Verse is a great villain, but he's not in the film long enough. I feel the same way about Black Manta and Aquaman. He's really great. But he's not in the film long enough. Uh, Aquaman gets a solid 7 out of 10 from me. As far as Shazam is concerned, remember how I said that the films kind of had reverse issues? Well, get this. Shazam's characters and plot is really well done. It's a fun superhero movie. It kind of takes me back to the days pre-cinematic universe and pre-MCU when superhero films were just fun comic book movies uh, with a character who can do a lot of cool stuff on screen. Shazam is a cool character. He's invincible. He can fly. He can shoot lightning bolts out of his fingers. He can turn into multiple versions of Shazam if they all save the word or whatever and he opens his heart or some shit. There's a crazy wizard that gives him powers and uh-oh, turns out the villain has got gotten the seven deadly sins and can i just say in terms of weird tropes i love it when any form of media uses the seven deadly sins as a villain it's great in full metal alchemist it's great here i love the fact that they're unique with the designs and trying new things with them it's great um but unfortunately shazam doesn't have that great of an action scene at all uh visually it's kind of boring and it's not that big of a blockbuster and that's fine because it is trying to be that smaller film. But when you come off watching a film like Aquaman that's so visually stunning, uh, Shazam very much plays it safe. Even in the color department, I found it wasn't as visually interesting as uh, Aquaman was. And the villain, um, unfortunately, isn't good. Both of these films have pretty bad villains. I don't even remember the main dude's name. I love the Seven Deadly Sins, but the guy who controls them is just kind of weak and bland. Uh, so it's just interesting to see how much these two films share in common. Uh, I'll have to give Shazam a 7 out of 10. They both got pretty bad villains and characters that I don't know a lot about, but they both impressed me in a lot of different ways. Shazam, with its acting and plot, 
the orphan home in particular is really good and aquaman with its visuals and its fight scenes and its cgi but not the story and plot so it's like they're connected to each other they're really fun both of them are seven out of tens and both of them by the way you can watch standalone you don't have to watch it in order with the rest of the dcu kind of like wonder woman and would you know it those are the three films i'd recommend from the dcu wonder woman aquaman and shazam all of them are a fun time but let's move on from the superhero garbage and talk about some films from childhood. I got three animated ones and three live action ones. So let's hop on over to the animation side of things and talk first about open season. Now, I haven't really brought up Sony Pictures Animation yet on any of these podcast episodes. And there's a good reason for that. I haven't seen a whole lot of their films. Uh, they did Spider-Verse, which I loved. Um... We already talked about Spider-Verse earlier, so what'd you know? Uh, but they've also done bad shit like the Emoji Movie. And Open Season is kind of that early age of Sony Pictures Animation where they're kind of trying to establish an identity for themselves and try to make it big. And for a first attempt, Open Season is surprisingly good. This was a film I was really nostalgic for as a kid. I watched it over and over and over again. I remember the jokes like the back of my hand. And uh, I was really hoping that it wouldn't be awful now that I'm an adult. And there are parts of it that is aged. Elliot is unfunny. I'm sorry. Everything that comes out of his mouth is the typical kids movie joke, whether it's farts or burps or him just being annoying. Can't stand Elliot at all. Uh, Martin Lawrence's Boog, though, fares significantly better. And where this film really shines, IMO, is in the side characters and the humor. The side characters are on point. Uh, one of my favorites is McSquizzy, who's kind of the leader of the squirrels with this big Scottish accent, and he throws nuts at people, and he's kind of a little bit of a psychopath. Uh, he, he, he involves himself in, in war and stuff, uh, and as they're fighting sort of the hunters, because hey, it's open season, that's what the plot of the movie is, he takes a propane tank and he draws a smiley face on it, and he calls him Mr. Happy, and I swear to God, they actually treat it like it's a nuke. Like, in the context of the film, they're, they're pretty much dropping a nuclear bomb on hunters. I know it's technically propane, but that's not how the film treats it. And would you believe me when I say that that's not the only World War II reference? The ducks talk about war flashbacks when they got shot down or whatever. And I'm like, what the fuck is this, is this film? There's a lot of surprising, like, references to things in here, which I usually can't stand in other films, that I really like and find endearing and charming about an open season. Half of that's the delivery, and half of that is those side characters. Another one I really like in terms of side characters is Mr. Weenie. He's a little weenie dog and his owners are uh, Bigfoot hunters and they're just kind of wild or whatever. Uh, but Mr. Weenie obviously hates it there. And so <laughs> he finds the gang and he's like, please take me with you. And he's got this like really thick German accent. He's really fun. I guess the last thing I want to talk about before I move on to the next film is Shaw. Shaw's the villain and he's the hunter, the big hunter. He's trying to hunt down uh, Boog and Elliot and all that sort of stuff. And what really makes him funny in this context is he sees Boog like saving Elliot and doing all these things and working together and in any other film in any other film the villain would just be just accept it and be like yeah whatever but I still want to hunt them anyway but an open fucking season 
he by him seeing this shit he just thinks the animals have a secret underground society and that they're building a regime and that one day that regime will take over where animals are on top and that humans are the pets and there's this whole like post-apocalyptic scene showing that happening he even explains to mr weenie's owners that the the weenie dog is gonna rise up (laughs) And the fucking owners are like, oh, no, Mr. Weenie would never do that. We had him spayed and neutered. And I'm like, what the fuck? And and nobody believes him at all. Nobody believes him in the film. Uh, Nobody sees the animals talk at all except for Shaw. I don't know why that's the case. But they treat him like a sociopath, like a conspiracy nut. And it's actually funny. He's by far uh, one of my favorite just gags in the whole film. Shaw's great. And the film's great, too. Underrated, even, I'd argue. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I'd give this a 7 out of 10 alongside Aquaman and Shazam. Not a bad first romp for an animated feature for Sony Pictures Animation. And speaking of which, another Sony Pictures Animation film. Next up on our list, film number four, Surf's Up. This is the next one down the road. And this, again, was one of those that I'm like, oh, I'm really nostalgic for Surf's Up. But it's probably going to be bad, though. And it's not at all, really. I think what makes Surf's Up stand apart from a lot of other Penguin movies and a lot of other animated Penguin films, you'd be surprised how much garbage Penguin media there is out there, is that this film is structured like a sports documentary. Uh, not only just in the subject matter, uh, the main character Cody is into surfing, and so he tries to get into the big surfing competition, and we learn about the surfing league and the history that it has, and there's athletes, good guys, bad guys, and all these different penguins and, and birds competing for the top, so we get to see the sports scene behind it, the economic side, how the, how it's ran, the scouting, all that sort of stuff. Uh, But it even applies to the filmmaking. When I say it's a sports documentary, I mean it. There's a camera crew. There's interviews. There's shaky handy cam. There's a point when, like, uh, one of the side characters, Chicken Joe, gets attacked by some of the natives. And you think, oh, okay, whatever. That's typical or whatever. But no, the camera crew gets attacked as well. And one of their cameras breaks and shit. And so this entire camera crew just gets whittled down as the film keeps going on because of how dangerous the fucking uh, surfing is and shit. Um, And that's really charming. That's really admirable. I've never seen an animated film like this take the whole surfing, jokey, documentary style before and pull it off so well. On top of that, though, the film is gorgeous. The water is beautiful. Anytime there's surfing, it's a visual treat, to say the least. I love waves and oceans and shit like that. And the film for 2007 is kind of ahead of its time when it comes to like visual water effects and stuff like that. You can notice uh, if you watch a lot of animated films, just sort of how that technology progresses and how they manage to animate things like that. And by this point, uh, the water looking pretty damn good. I gotta say. Uh, But the characters are also really solid. Cody is kind of this brash, arrogant know-it-all, and he kind of has to learn a bit more about surfing and how to take it chill and uh, kind of follow that sort of surfer lifestyle and mentality. It got me really interested in surfing as a subject, both as a kid and even now. And I think given the type of film that it is, given that it's an animated Penguin film, it could have been a lot worse. It's certainly better than Happy Feet. Again, another 7 out of 10. Um, go watch your sub. Go watch all these films I've listed so far, man. We're just we're just on a roll with happy, good films. Uh, and finally, let's talk about the fifth film, the final animated one on the list. Onward. What? You watched Onward? How'd you watch Onward? Uh, 
It, it's kind of surprising to me as well, but given the whole coronavirus outbreak, they actually put it out on digital pretty early. So if you haven't seen it, now's a pretty good opportunity. I think it's on Disney Plus as well. Uh, but me and Pixar have kind of had a weird relationship in the past couple of years where I loved early Pixar, the Toy Stories, the Incredibles, Monsters, Inc., uh, Bugs Life's kind of eh, but you get my opinion. Like all, all those early Pixar films, Wally Up, Toy Story 3, classics, classics in their own right, really well-made films. Unfortunately, the past decade has kind of just been filler for Pixar. Like they've never released a bad film. Like, sure, I don't like Monsters University or Brave or any of the car sequels, but it's not awful. It's just I know they can do better because their older catalog is so good, and Pixar used to be really good about unique, new, inventive ideas. And so Onward was kind of hyped up to be the return for Pixar going back to new original ideas, and so I got really excited to see it. I watched it with my friend Jay the Zoomster, and it's good. It's good. It's good. It's not Pixar good. It's more of along the lines of like a Disney film good. Um, where if you've watched any of the films that Disney made in the past decade, it's typically a pretty solid level of quality, but they continue to get better and better. Onward is kind of just on the same boat as like a Frozen or I was going to say Big Hero 6, but I heard people don't like that movie or a Tangled or, you know, stuff like that, where it's like, is there anything wrong with Onward? No, not really. I'd say my biggest issue is the fact that the film is very predictable. The Chris Pratt elf basically says shit about magic, and basically anything he says is treated as law. And so we just get a lot of the scenes where Chris Pratt will say, oh, did you know you could do magic with this? And then the following scene is them doing magic with this. They do a lot of telling uh, and not enough showing. I think. And so it just leaves the film feeling very predictable. You know where it's going. It's a road trip movie with the brothers and they bond and they learn to understand each other and all that sort of stuff. And it's executed relatively well. I think the ending though is, is where the film really starts to pick up in terms of quality and what really makes it stand out. And I want to spoil this one uh, because even though there are going to be spoilers in this entire podcast, should have mentioned that earlier. Uh, Onward is a film I'm not going to spoil just because it is so relatively new and some of y'all will want to watch it. Uh, but let's just say they have a school where the mascot is the dragons and they do something really cool with that as well. Uh, the main plot of the film, like I mentioned, is this brother road trip movie, but they're trying to bring back their dad. And they kind of say a lot of things about the father figure in there and you wonder if it's actually going to go that way. And the film kind of pulls a little bit of a twist while also, like, sticking to its guns. I really like films that, like, say they're going to do shit like that and actually follow through on it, even if it's not the popular norm. And so there's a really good scene at the end with the father uh, that I didn't expect and that I really enjoyed. So, yeah, shout out to Pixar for that. The other thing about Onward, though, that's, like, really good outside of that climax is the setting. It's this fantasy world where magic used to be popular. There's all these fairy tale creatures and stuff. Uh, but as time has gone on, um, technology has kind of taken over. And so now it's this sort of modern typical utopia with like skyscrapers and phones and tech magic's kind of been forgotten about but then obviously in the quest to get the dad back they learn about magic they learn about swords they learn about all these creatures and stuff and it's a fun ride um i just wish onward did a little bit more risk taking i'm coming to find out that the more films i watch uh the majority of them if they're 
if they have some quality to it, they're usually just fine. And I hate films that are just fine. I really want to see something new and something unique, whether it's good or bad. I don't care. Uh, but films like Onward can kind of bug me a little bit just in the fact that it didn't really go that far outside its comfort zone. And considering that's how the film was marketed in the first place, I would have wanted a little bit more. But all that being said, the film is not bad. The setting's great. Um, the climax is really good. The characters are good. It's just kind of predictable as a whole. I'd probably give Onward like a like a six, I think. I think a six is fair. I'm going to be a little bit harder on Onward than a lot of these other films, but it's just because my standards for it are a lot higher as a result. So yeah, those are all the animated childhood films. Let's move on now to the live-action childhood films. Pretty excited. Uh, let's head up, let's see, film number six. We're going to tackle Bridge to Terabithia. And out of all the films that I watched, this one is my least favorite by far. It's probably not technically the worst film, but it's the film I hated the most. Um, this was one of those that I watched again during childhood, but I didn't really have a whole lot of nostalgia for it. And turns out that's for a pretty good reason because the film is just kind of a generic kids film, both in how it's shot, both in how it's acted. And unfortunately, and this is the biggest weakness, the film is poorly written. The dialogue is just absolutely atrocious. No kid talks like this. Uh, it's more of like the Disneyfied version of how kids speak to each other. It's just so hokey, so corny, and I already kind of don't like kids in real life. Uh, but I like a good kids film now and again. Uh, but this just wasn't that. Um, the whole film is just generic. I hate the CGI. I hate the fantasy elements. I don't know. It's just I feel like Bridge of Terabithia was forgettable, or if it was memorable, it was doing so in a way that made me annoyed or pissed off. Uh, the only good thing I liked about it was, and this is a huge spoiler, uh, pretty much for the whole film, so here we go. Um, one of the main kid's characters drowns and dies. And so watching the other one kind of deal with death, uh, I thought the interpretation of that was pretty good. He's kind of in shock. He's in denial. He doesn't know how to feel about anything. And the film doesn't really end on a happy note. I mean, like, they kind of still show the kingdom or whatever, but she doesn't come back to life. She's dead, dead. And I really like how all that stuff was handled. The ending is pretty good. But the rest of it, man, generic-ass kids film, awful fucking dialogue, boring-ass cinematography, ugly CGI, even for the time. I don't like this film at all. I'm giving it a 2 out of 10. Don't watch it. It's bad. Fuck Bridge to Terabithia. Dare I said it. I'm going to get a comment from a bunch of Bridge to Terabithia stands talking about how this is actually secretly genius. And I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it one bit. All right, next up, let's talk about National Treasure. Now, this was a film that Aiden watched a shit ton as a kid, and I liked it. It's good. It's good. It's good. National Treasure, in all honesty, is probably the most middle-of-the-road film here. Uh, the soundtrack's really good. I like the sort of treasure-hunting uh, themes they have. It almost kind of functions a little bit like an Indiana Jones film. I like the fact that there's a lot of problem solving. I like that we get multiple scenes of like them deciphering clues and showing how we get there. Nick Cage is funny as all hell. 
the film can kind of be funny as well. Like one of the main plot points is that they got to steal the Declaration of Independence. And if that sounds funny to you, uh, it actually is funny. Uh, there's a lot of chase scenes. They're getting chased by the FBI and an evil team is introduced who's kind of the bad guy here. And there's a little bit of a plot about restoring the family name and legacy and all the historical stuff is pretty well accurate to my knowledge outside of the treasure itself, obviously not being real. Um, it's just kind of a fun, like, kids treasure hunting movie with a really good soundtrack, pretty solid performances overall, and, like, if you want, like, a Disney version of Indiana Jones, it's pretty much exactly what you're gonna get. I haven't watched the sequel in years. Uh, I did watch it, but I didn't watch it in April, um, so I'll have to see how that one pans out if I do decide to watch it, but the first one is solid. I'd give it, like, a six. Uh, it's, it's a film that I vibed through for the most part. Uh, I wouldn't go around recommending it to people, I'd say, just because like it has to be a film that I feel like you have to be nostalgic for to really appreciate. Um, but it's not bad either. It's just kind of middle of the road. All right, and then the final live-action film. And honestly, this film right here, it's going to sound like a joke when I talk about it, but I mean every word of it sincerely. Cat in the Hat was my favorite film that I saw this month. Let me repeat that. 2003's Cat in the Hat, starring Mike fucking Myers, Alec Baldwin, Dakota Fanning as a child, is my favorite movie that I saw this month. Is it any good? No, it's not. It's not really good at all. Uh, sure, it's got some critical parts about it that are really solid like the sets are pretty good they really kind of like captured what a dr seuss world would look like on film uh bo welch i believe did a lot of production design first on like films like uh edward scissorhands and the like and you really does show here that experience really does pay off uh, the film doesn't really look like any other film it's just so clean and well put together there's no dirt anywhere it feels weird and off-putting and I do really like the humor as well. Not all of it is good, but like Mike Myers has a couple of really good comedic jokes in here. And I wish I could talk about how bizarre and like Gen Z humor it is. Uh, it's so wild just how this movie kind of predicted like internet humor pretty much. It's that similar. Uh, but I don't want to talk about any of the jokes because this is a film that I'd recommend you guys to watch. And if I explain the jokes, it's not going to be as funny to you guys if you don't see it on your own if you've never seen it before absolutely give it a watch if you have seen it before but it's been years go ahead and watch it you'll enjoy it a lot um i think really honestly is that in terms of of why i enjoy cat in the hat so much it is that humor it is the fact that mike myers is doing crazy shit it is alec baldwin it is the sets but above all else it is the perfect so bad it's good film it is uniquely bad it is funny, it's all shit in the worst way possible, and get this shit, it's short, it's like less than two hours, it's a breeze, you never feel bored in Cat in the Hat, which is something that I thought would happen, just given the fact of like, it's the type of kids movie about a Dr. Seuss character, you would think there'd be really boring shit in it, but there's not, so you can just watch the film, and it feels so quick to get through that it's not an investment of time at all. It's the perfect so bad it's good film. Uh, my typical rating that I have for these is a 3 out of 10. And I think that's what I'm going to give Cat in the Hat. But it is my number one recommendation out of all the films on this list. 
Cat in the Hat should be your first priority. Again, I'm not joking. I'm not lying. The film is that funny. The film is that off-putting. The film is that horrendously bad while also having a lot of elements that are surprisingly good. Go watch Cat in the Hat. I don't want to over-explain it. It's better if you don't know enough about it before you hop into it. But uh, yeah, go watch it. I had a lot of fun. I watched it like twice in a row. I enjoyed it that much. Epic. So now we've covered eight films. Um, some DCU films, some animated films, some live action films from childhood. The final eight, you're wondering, oh boy, Aiden, how are you going to get through this? There's not that many minutes left in the podcast. Well, the final eight films are the Harry Potter films. And guess what? I've already done a video about them. That's right. Uh, I'm plugging my own content again. Uh, I made a video on Blue Catch Productions doing an analysis over the series as a whole, so I'm not going to repeat myself here. If you want my extended thoughts on Harry Potter, go watch that video. But what I will do for y'all and for this podcast is I'll go ahead and give you a ranked list, how I order these films in terms of quality. I'll even give you some ratings and some kind of general thoughts, but I'm not going to repeat myself. Again, we don't have that many minutes left in the podcast, and I want to kind of just lightning around through these films, if that sounds all right with you. So coming in at the top, my favorite Harry Potter film. We're going from best to worst. Number one is Prisoner of Azkaban. Really dark, really well shot. Probably the best vision. Alfonso Cuaron does a brilliant job directing, and I just love this sort of middle of the road, like not quite super dark, but also not quite super kid friendly either. It's this really good mix that I like about Prisoner of Azkaban so much. It gets a nine out of 10. Number two, The Half-Blood Prince. This is film number six, I believe. Uh, I'd probably give it like an eight out of 10. It's the closest I would say to Prisoner of Azkaban, but it does have a couple of worse things about it. Uh, the color correcting is one of them. The film is kind of visually boring to look at, and it doesn't quite have that balance or mix. It's just not as interesting as Prisoner of Azkaban, but it does still have that darker element. I like that we're exploring characters like Dumbledore and Voldemort, and it is a pretty good setup for the final chapter of the whole series, Deathly Hallows. Final book, final chapter, same shit, whatever. It's an 8 out of 10. Half-Blood Prince is honestly, get this, epic. Number three would be Goblet of Fire, film number four. This one surprised me. Uh, when I watched it at the time, it was kind of just the most solid. At that point, I'd watched the other three films before it, and while Prisoner of Azkaban was really good, and I'll save my thoughts on the first two for later, uh, Goblet of Fire was just kind of like, okay, this is good. This is solid. I don't remember who directed it because your name is still very boring, uh, but Goblet of Fire is legitimately fun from beginning to end. It has a bit of that mix that Azkaban has as well. I love the Triwizard Tournament. I love seeing Harry compete in all these events. And the return to Voldemort is the best part of this film. It does such a good job getting you excited for the darker side of Harry Potter. And for that, it's toward the top. It's uh, number three. Overall, I'd give this one probably a seven out of ten. Coming in at number four is Deathly Hallows Part 2, the final movie in the entire Harry Potter series. We'll talk about Part 1 later, but in terms of Part 2, it's all climax all the time. But in terms of climax stuff, it's pretty good. I love the raid on Hogwarts. Seeing Voldemort and Harry's final battle is unique. The Gringotts revisited shit is wonderful. Um, 
not much I could say. It's just like classic blockbuster Harry Potter in the best sort of way. And it ends on such a perfect note. It does such a good job tying up the rest of the loose ends and the rest of the films. When you watch Deathly Hallows Part 2, you don't have to watch any other films after that. And for that, I thank it. I love series that have a definitive ending and a definitive conclusion. Deathly Hallows Part 2 does a wonderful job at that. It's number four on the list. I'd give it like a seven as well. Coming in at number five is Order of the Phoenix, the fifth film, coming in at number five. I made that joke in the video, and I'm going to make it here again. Uh, honestly, not a bad film at all. We're still in the realm of like relatively solid-ass Harry Potter films. In fact, this is kind of a spoiler for the whole series, but like none of these films are outright bad. It's why it's my new like gold standard for longer franchises and the such. Uh, Order of the Phoenix, I think, just kind of gets lower on the list because I just like everything above it more. Um, but that being said, like the villain they have this time around is really good. The ministry plot is interesting, but it feels kind of a little bit more like a side thing. And I do like seeing the order established. And in terms of like endings for one of these films, the whole thing at the ministry is just fantastic from beginning to end. Uh, again, another like, another seven, six or seven, I'd say for order of the Phoenix. I don't really have a solid one. On that one. That, that's one of the films I feel a little bit mixed on overall. All right. Number six is Sorcerer's Stone. It's the first one. The one that started it all. And unfortunately, it's kind of a generic kids fantasy film. But that's fine. Because Hogwarts is beautiful. The wizarding world is fully realized. The sets are fantastic. And I do like some of the lighthearted moments. You kind of need that fun wizarding hijinks. So that the rest of the films hit stronger. And, and, and actually like pay off later on. I like it more than the other sort of fantasy kids film that's coming up. Uh, Sorcerer Stone's a fun time. Not a bad start for Harry Potter. I give it like a like a five. Five or six. I don't really have solid ratings for these. I really should have thought about this earlier. Number six, baby. Seven. Number seven. Sorcerer's Stone was number six. What am I talking about? Number seven is Chamber of Secrets. This is pretty much just Sorcerer's Stone again, but worse. Uh, granted, it does bring up a little bit more than darker elements. We're starting to see something interesting, but not much interesting. And then the rest of the film is a flat-out repeat. Um, Chris Columbus, in terms of all the directors of the Harry Potter films, I think does the worst job out of all of them. Um, and this film really does show it. Jay hates it, I think, the most out of any of the films. And Parker just kind of likes it. Uh, this film doesn't really have that many staunch defenders, and I can see why. It's just not a very, like, entertaining... Ugh. Sorry for the burp. It's not a very entertaining or interesting film, I think. And then finally, eight, the worst film, Deathly Hallows Part 1. I hate the fact that Deathly Hallows was split up into two movies. It started a trend in films that I hate with the Part 1 and Part 2. Absolutely awful. Can't stand it. This whole film is boring setup, boring road trip, uh, all the dialogue is in whispers. We spend a majority of the film in the woods. And the saddest part is I know there's potential because the rest of the film talks about interesting stuff, but you hear it from side characters. We don't actually get to see it as a whole. Just the most boring, uninteresting, and lifeless of all the Harry Potter films. This is the only bad one. I'd give it like a four. <laughs> Fuck Deathly Hallows Part 1. It's awful. And the sad part is you got to watch it to get Part 2. So it's like, ugh, what are you going to do? If you're watching them all, you got to watch it. But it's like, I don't know. I feel like some something like that where this plot really works better in a book and not necessarily in a movie form. So hey, what are you going to do? But yeah, 
those are my thoughts on all the Harry Potter films and a rank list and even some ratings. Again, go watch my Harry Potter video if you want more in-depth analysis. But I really enjoyed watching all these films with Parker and Jay. I didn't expect to get through the entire series in one month and still not finish the DCU. But hey, what are you going to do? And those, ladies and gentlemen, are all the films I saw in April 2020. At the top of my list, the one I absolutely recommend is Cat in the Hat. Seriously, not joking. Please go watch that film. And at the bottom of my list is Bridge to Terabithia. That one's the worst. If you're looking for the best film in terms of like objective quality, probably Prisoner of Azkaban. It's a nine. It's the highest rated one. And all the Harry Potter films in terms of quality, I'd recommend those as well. Onward and Shazam were fun. Uh, Aquaman was fun. Surf's Up and Open Season was fun. National Treasure is kind of okay. But yeah, let me know what you thought about my April movie roundup. If you have any opinions on these films, let me know. And if you want me to do more of those, also let me know. And hey, if you want to support the podcast, you can financially. Just hit that little support button. You can also support me on Patreon. Shout out to my good friend Jay the Zoomster and Parker Mile for doing that. And uh, there's links in the description below, maybe even to my channel, where you can go watch the Harry Potter video if you're so inclined. Next episode is episode 50. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Can't wait for y'all to listen to it. I've been Aiden of Blue Couch Productions, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. And I'm signing out. Bye-bye.